Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Ridge Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, check us out online at theridgechurch.net. Also, be sure to connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening today. What comes to mind when you think of roles? Like, what roles are in place in your life? You know, obviously, the big one that we think of is men and women, right? That's the roles that kind of jump out at us. But I want you to kind of step back for a minute, just for a minute, and think about what roles we play in our lives. Um, Actually, if you look up roles, the first thing that it talks about is, like, the role that you would play, like, in a play. Or if you were in, like, um, a show, that is a role, like an acting role that you would play. You're actually playing the part of something. Now, I thought back to my very first uh, play that I was in. It wasn't a play. It was actually a talent show in fourth grade. So I was in the talent show in fourth grade, fifth grade, and sixth grade. And let me tell you about this amazing talent. I'm about ready to amaze you. Okay, so the first, the first year, my fourth grade year, I was actually, these girls decided that they wanted to do like a news broadcast show. So they approached me and they said, we want to interview you in that. So my role, they named me, was the human goofball. I was called the goofball. And so my costume and what I was required to wear was suspenders and uh, and a hat that was like a brimmed hat, like a baseball hat, turned to the side like this. And so I would come out, and basically they would ask me questions, and I would just get everything wrong. That was my debut. That was my talent, was being a goofball. All right? Next year, I decided, okay, I'm going to do something in the talent show, and I'm going to make this show how I want to be. So I decided that me and three other guys, and we did like this lip sync thing of the Three Stooges. It was like a song, and I played Curly in the Three Stooges. So I actually put on a bald cap in fifth grade, and then I put a pillow in my shirt to make myself look heavy like Curly. If you know the Three Stooges, I did the whoop, 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 you know, that kind of thing. And then, um, and then I acted that out on stage. So I went from a goofball to a stooge the next year. So that's how it progressed. Now, the next year, I actually went to... Um, <laughs> Totally different, went a different route, and we were actually break dancers. So I went, from, uh, a, a, I went from a goofball to a stooge to a break dancer. But each one of those were roles that I had played, that I stood in front of people, and that I was, got to play that role. Now, when we think about roles um, in our daily life, we have different roles that we play, right? Like, I'm a husband. I'm also a father, um, there's wives here, you know, there, there is, I, I have a dad, so I'm also a son, that is a different role that I play, and all these different things that come across as roles, different, different roles that you play in your life. And if you think about your job or where you work, if you work or if you have a career, there's different roles that you play. Like if you go to work, there's always a structure there put in place, right? There's a boss and then there's employees, maybe there's mid-management. All of these are roles that you play. And if you think about sports, you know, if you look at even professional sports like football, right, there is roles that people play. Could you imagine if the whole team walked out and they decided that they wanted to be quarterbacks? If each and every one said, nope, today I'm going to be a quarterback, like that would not work because there is specific roles for each member of the team to play. They work together as a team. Well, if you think about roles, what do they do? They give us order in what we are doing. And we see that here in our church. 
You know, if you think about someone who just walked in today, if Dustin walked in today and he's like, you know what, today I want to preach. So today I've just decided I'm going to preach. So I go to walk up here to preach and Dustin's like, no, 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 no. I'm going to come up here and preach today. That's not how it works, right? Or if, or if somebody wanted to work on the tech team and said, you know what, today I've just decided I am going to run the computer and the slides. And they came in and they just went right back there and they decided to do it. No, you wouldn't do that because there is order. If I came in here and I was like, you know what, today I'm going to lead worship. I've just decided I'm going to be singing to all of you. All of you would be gone by now if that happened because I cannot sing at all. And my wife would not let me on the stage to sing. But everybody has a specific role that they play in the church and when we come here. And to think that if we didn't follow those roles, there would be chaos when we got here. So roles are established for order. And we see roles throughout the Bible. And I want you to think about that. God's order has, is established throughout God's word that we see that there is different roles. If you think back even to like when we went through the book of Hebrews and we talked about the tabernacle and what that looked like when they would go in and they would make sacrifices. There were specific roles put in place that God gave instruction that they had to do. And it was so serious that even if a, a, a person who was not in that role walked behind the curtain what would happen? They would die because that's how serious the roles were. If you think about also even who God is, you think about the Trinity, right? There is roles there that we see in who God is. The son is obedient to what the father. As we went through the book of John, we saw that through Jesus's ministry, what he was obedient to the father. There was a role there. It's God's structure that he has put in place. And you know what? We don't question that. We read the Bible and we're like, yeah, that makes sense. So why is it that when we look at the Bible and we look at men and women, we're like, whoa, I'm not sure about that. You know, all this other structure makes sense in what we're saying. But when we talk about men and women, I'm not real clear on that. Um, So we saw last week that Paul is addressing behavior for both what? Men and women. And where their heart is. Uh, this is even reflected last week, and we really talked about this and what, how the women dress. And why was that? Why was that important? Because what? They wanted the attention. They wanted the attention to them, and it was a distraction. Now, Paul emphasized what? Self-control was one of the things that he talked about. And that continues in our passage today. Our behavior and attitude is important. Uh, Now, Paul was addressing this in the corporate gathering. That is the whole thing that we are talking about. And it was a mess. Like, he was going in there. He was helping Timothy to adjust what the the attitude, the behavior, and the roles that were all taking place. And Paul was helping Timothy to face that. So today, as we finish chapter 2 in the book of 1 Timothy... And I want to remind you, if you're here for the first time, this is a letter written by Paul to his younger friend. And he, it's, he is mentoring him in this. And, uh, and he calls him a spiritual son. So we know that they are very, very close. We always need to remember Paul is helping Timothy to get the church healthy again. A huge responsibility in what he is doing. There was pagan ideas. The culture and false doctrine had invaded the church that Paul had helped establish 
And this is what was going on. I want you to keep that in your mind. And last week I kind of mentioned this idea. It had become a circus instead of a service. All of this stuff going on was a circus and it was out of control. So Paul was coming in here and and telling Timothy, this is what we have to do to get everything back in order. Paul addresses orderly worship in 1 Corinthians. And I want to remind you of these verses because this is kind of the purpose of why we are talking about this. 1 Corinthians 14, 40. But all things should be done decently and in order, right? It's this whole idea of structure that we are looking at. Um, And if you look at the purpose of Timothy, 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15 says this, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. So it's all about the behavior in the household of God and what that looks like, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of the truth. So starting in verse 8 is where we started last week, and I wanted him to read all of that because really I'm breaking this into two weeks when we look at all that is going going on here in the corporate gathering. Verses 8 through 15 pertain to the corporate gathering and how they should act in the household of God. And with two big thoughts, the first week, last week, was what? Attitude of the church. Last week, our big idea was this. Attitude is important in the corporate gathering. It was all about what? Heart. Where the men's heart was and where the women's heart was. Uh, The next step was check your heart. So we kind of evaluated where our hearts are. Although we are not here in a circus, right? But we still need to evaluate where our hearts are when we come to the corporate gathering. So today, we will discuss the roles of men and women in the church. How the misuse of roles created what? It created disorder. And it is not an easy passage. This is the passage that, you know, when you... So I, I, yesterday, April 1st, was the four-year anniversary that I became a pastor, Isn't that funny? They ordained me on April Fool's Day, which I think is kind of funny. So I'll always remember that. So four years now I've been a pastor. And when you come to a passage like this, you're like, what? Like like when we say that we are going line by line, verse by verse, that we are teaching through the Bible, you know, when you teach John 3.16, you know, and you can talk about love, everybody's like, yeah. But you come to verses like this, and you're like, oh, no. Like, do we want to talk about this? Yes, we want to talk about this, and we want to look at what it means. And I know maybe women are are sitting there. I had this thought in my head that I was just picturing looking out and be like, all the women of the church with their arms full to being like, yeah, explain this one to me. Let's see what you got here. Like, that's what, that's what we think. But if we come to the scripture and we know that what? We talk about scripture is true, right? And it is the authoritative word of God. And we, and we believe that. We need to dive in and figure out what this means and what Paul is telling us here. And look at it in its proper context. So remember I said this last week. That this circus that Paul and Timothy are dealing with is not where the Ridge Church is. Uh, But many of these things help us to evaluate what the condition of our hearts and where we are. And uh, and really how we look at our roles here in the church. So what is our big idea this week? So our big idea this week is roles are important in the corporate gathering. Last week it was attitude is important. This week we're going to focus on roles. Roles are important in the corporate gathering. Remember, roles are established for order. And order within the corporate gathering is important. 
So let's break down Paul's instruction to Timothy here, and uh, we'll see how he stresses this in when we go through and what he is saying. And we'll see how it connects back to creation when we get further into the text. So let's start in the first verse that we are going to be looking at today, which is verse 11. So 1 Timothy 2.11 says this, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. All right? So we look at that verse and we want to know what is, why is he saying this and why is Paul telling Timothy this? So what I want you to first see and when we look at this, and this is kind of where I went, where I jumped right to the submissiveness part because we want to say, well, what does that mean? You know, what is going on there? He's telling the women to be submissive. But what I do not want you to miss here, and this is very important, is that let a woman learn. I want to stop there. Let a woman learn. Now, it was important for a woman to learn. Now, if you think about it and you look at the context and what was going on here, Greek culture and the Hebrew attitude was what? This was countercultural to the thought. It wasn't about the woman. They didn't care if the woman was learning. So now we see here that there is a stress here on the woman learning. So the first thought that I want you guys to take away today is this. How do we see that roles are important? Roles are important for what? For learning. Roles are important for learning. We see that in the church. It is critical to grow in knowledge in God's word. 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So we all should be learning. And I want to bring uh, that to our attention, that it is important for men to be learning, and it is equally important for women to be learning. That is why we come together to learn. So how should the woman learn? He says, quietly with all submissiveness. Now, first I want you to remember the the context of what is going on here. First, remember the circus setting. Remember, women were drawing attention to themselves. But that word there, learn in, that learn quietly translates to learn in silence. Learn in silence. It's really about without contention, right? Because that's what was happening. The women were speaking up and there was a contention there. And this is the same word that was, that's used up in verse 2. And I want to read that verse to you. 1 Timothy 2.2 2 says, For kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. That peaceful and quiet life, that is the same word, and that is what is being said here. It is an idea of peacefulness without contention. Now, if we look at that and we look at the principle behind that, it is what? Submission. Now, that is a word that, that, that rubs us the wrong way, doesn't it, when we hear the word submission. But I want you to uh, think about it is not making someone submit. That is not what it's about because that's what I think of. When I think about submission, it's like I, I'm going to make you listen and I'm going I'm to you know, put my fist down, and that is submission. No, that's not what we're talking about here. This is an idea of willful submission and where you put yourself in God's order. So as we look at this, so to learn quietly then is the application of that, of submission. So it's important to understand what submission is and to kind of look at that without our pre-understanding and what may come to your mind. Um, 
Think of it as in, uh, in rank, right? The order of authority. A great example is the armed forces when we think about that. It is order and authority. It is not about value and ability. I want to say that again because it's very important. It is about order and authority. It is not about value or ability. And that's where our minds, that's where my mind goes when I confuse that and mess that all up. Now, my son, Hunter, who is up here uh, helping lead worship um, today, does a fantastic job, man. He has the voice that I wish I had. This past uh, two weeks ago, he graduated from AFIT. He graduated uh, Air Force Institute of Technology, and I'm so proud of him. And this past week, he started his new job. Now, so he is a second lieutenant. So if we're talking about rank and what that looks like. Now, in his job that he has, and we are not allowed to know what he does, which is kind of cool, actually. Um, he is a second lieutenant. But what I do know is this, that he is the bottom rank when he goes now to work with, these, with this team of people. So they call him LT. That's his nickname. And when they don't want to do something, what do they say? They say, you know, oh, I don't want to do that. I know. Give it to LT. So LT gets it. So this is about rank. Do you see that he came in and there's other that are above him in rank. It is not about skill and ability because I will tell you this. Hunter has skills and abilities that most, most people don't have. And I'm sure that in this group of guys, they don't have either. It is because he is very talented with what he does. It is not about his ability and who he is or his value. It is about the rank and the order and the structure that is put in place. And that really helped me when I started thinking about it. I'm like, ah, oh, that makes sense. Without order, there is chaos. Without order, there is chaos. And we don't want chaos within the church. So when we talk about orderly worship, I want to go to 1 Corinthians 14, 33 through 35. This, once again, is another very difficult text. I thought I'd just get this one in there, too. Let's just do them all together. All right, 1 Corinthians 14, 33 through 35. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Now, just to set this up here, he is talking about uh, um, people, women prophesying in the church is what he's talking about here. And there's chaos going on. So right there, we see that the first thing that he is saying is, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. Now, if there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Now we look at that scripture and it's like, wow, like what is he saying there? I can't believe that he would say that. But once again, I want you to look at the context of what was going on. It's this idea, just like in Corinth is what is happening here in Ephesus. This idea that there was chaos going on and he was getting order and talking about this. In there, he talks about the law. For they are not permitted to speak, but should uh, but should be in submission, as the law also says. Now, what is he talking about there? And we're going to get to that because he is pointing to creation. He is pointing to creation. But what's interesting about this is that um, we see that, what, God is not a God of confusion but peace, and there's order in the corporate gathering. Um, the women can speak at church, uh, and they're referring to the corporate teaching and learning. And I want to make that clear. Like when we talk about silence in church, a lot of times what our minds go is like, 
Like if I walk in with my wife and as soon as we enter the front door, it's like, mm, nope, you better shut your mouth because no, you're not talking. No, that's not what is going on here at all. Like and I don't want anyone to think that or to walk in here and to think that that's the expectation that we have in church. What it's talking about here is the teaching from the pulpit. Like, and what was going on was people were shouting out, they were prophesying, and all this chaos was going on. And so he is laying out these roles in order to say this is what it should be. Now, what's interesting here, it says that if there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. Now, first I looked at that and I thought, ooh, that's kind of like a harsh thing to say. But then I said, "Mm, no, I want you to think about that for a minute. Because men, I would ask you, if your wife comes to you at home and asks you what was preached about at church, do you have an answer? This is about the men leading and the women going to the men who are supposed to be leading them. Men should step up. The husband should be leading. Now, I will say this. Des and I, Desiree and I, when we, became, when we got married, we were, at very, we were at different levels of biblical knowledge. So what do I mean by that? So I, she became a Christ follower very young, and she was raised in the church. Like She has scripture memorized that just amazes me, and it comes out in the King James Version. She, just like, she still spits it out to this day in what she knows and how, she's, and how she knows it. Now, when we got married, I had been, I got, I was a Christ follower after the age of 24, right? And I would say even those, after that, the 10 years that, um, that I was in church, I really didn't dive deep. I was a very shallow view of my biblical knowledge. Now, when we got married, right, she knew more than I did. And that was a fact. Like, she knew more. So if the kids would have a question or something like that, it would be easy for me to what? Say, well, go ask Desiree because, you know, she's, no, she's studied this her whole life. And like, but no, that's not how men should lead, right? I should be the one diving in, getting to know Scripture. Even though that she's been raised this way, I need to build my knowledge to lead my family. And that is what we should be doing, men. And I, and I want you to take that away from that. Men, we need to lead. It is our responsibility. It is our responsibility and privilege. Roles are important for learning. And all of us, all of us should be learning. All right, let's go to the next verse. Chapter, verse 12, 1 Timothy 2, 12. It says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. All right, as we look at this, he says, I do not permit. So this is a command that Paul is giving. I do not permit. And here is the problem that Paul is addressing. This is why he is saying this. The women were exercising authority and teaching over the men. That is the problem that he is addressing and that he brings up here. If you look at the authority, the authority is teaching from God's word. As we've talked about, our ultimate authority is what? God's word. It's what we come back to. And they were teaching from that. So the women were exercising authority and teaching over men. Men are to teach in the corporate gathering. And this this is clear in scripture. So how do we see that roles are important here? Roles are important for teaching. Roles are important for teaching. Not only learning, but also for teaching and what God has put in place. 
So in the next chapter, if we look at this in context, which I think is very important, as we go line by line, as we, as we learn God's word, we see that in the next chapter, he's going to be addressing the qualifications of what? Elders. So this is leading up to that. So what does he say in 1 Timothy 3, 2? It says, therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, and what? Able to teach. Now, clearly he is talking about men here and what? They are the ones who are supposed to be teaching in the corporate gathering. This is the man's responsibility. And remember, this is not about value or ability because I'm sure women have the ability to be able to get up and, and preach and teach. So I would ask, can a woman teach? Absolutely a woman can teach. Women are desperately needed to teach, right? Women, if we look, teach women. And we desperately need women to teach women. If we look in Titus, it says this, Titus 2, 3 through 5. And we will, we will be studying 1 Timothy and then going to Titus and then going to 2 Timothy as we go through the study. It says this, older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may be reviled. We desperately need women to step up and teach other women and children, like there is such an opportunity for women to step up and teach. And we must make that clear. So I don't want you to think that we stand up here and say, you know, women can't teach. No, absolutely, women can teach, and we want women to teach. But it's in the context of the role and where we, where we need women to teach. And we see this is always important, even with the family. Now, if we, it's even evident with Timothy in his, in his own life. 2 Timothy 1.5 says this. It says, I am reminded, this is Paul talking to Timothy, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. You see, we cannot underestimate the impact of women have in the church and the family. You know, over the past many, many years of working in student ministry and, and looking at the culture in general, what have we seen? We've seen a rejection, like a decline of moral authority in our culture. It's something that it, we are just battling against, right? We shouldn't be surprised by it, but it's, it's sometimes difficult to deal with. And one of the things over the past uh, many years that we have invested in Parent Connect, the parents, we say What? You are to disciple your children. How important is that? And I think a lot of times we don't understand the importance that a mother has on her children. So I believe that the battle begins at home and that there's a role there for a, a mother and there's a role there for a father to disciple and love their children well. Now, is this only in context to the situation in Ephesus? You know, if you look at this and what is going on and what Paul is saying here, you say, well, maybe, is he just saying this just because of the situation that's going on here? Maybe he's just only talking about Ephesus. Well, we also 
Saul that was also in Corinth that it was going on. But I don't think so. I think what is happening here, I believe that it is a general command for a structure set up for what? All church, for all churches. And why do I say that? Well, we see here that Paul gives the reasons in the next verse. Now, as we look at these reasons, there's two, and it's connected what? To creation. It's connected back to creation and the, the roles that God has given and the order that he has laid out. Now, we went back to creation and talked about this, and we went back to Genesis. Why? For this very purpose, because we wanted to lay out the foundation that God has put in place. So when we got to this in Timothy, we wouldn't be like, what's going on? This is a, a surprise to me. No, we have studied and understand God's roles in creation. So let's look at that. So verse 13 says, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. So this verse starts with four. So what does that mean? That's, so he's saying because. So these are the two arguments that Paul is giving for what he is saying. He's talking about the, the women not having authority over men, right, of the teaching, trying to get this under control. And he's, so now he is giving the reasons why he says this. So first we see roles were given in the order of creation. So how do we see that roles are important here? Roles are established in creation. Roles are established in creation. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. Now, I want to make this crystal clear. Order does not mean superiority. All right? Order does not mean superiority. Both created in God's image. Adam was created first and given responsibility over Eve and creation. He was given the responsibility to take care of Eve and a responsibility over creation. Genesis 2.18 says this. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now we look at that and we've studied that. We see that Eve is created what? As a helper. Now helper is not inferior in any way. And if we look at who, uh, if you look at the helper in scripture, remember the Holy Spirit is referred to as a helper. So this is no, in no way saying that this is inferior to the man. Then she was created, what? From Adam. She was created from Adam. All these things are important. You know, this wasn't just an accident that God was like, you know what, I'm just, well, how's this going to work? I don't know. No, he had a plan and a purpose in what he was doing. So it says in Genesis 2.22, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made it into a woman and, and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. You see how that creation, there was an order there. Adam was created first and right, Eve was created from Adam. Adam received command and authority from God. Eve received authority and command from Adam. This was the structure God set up Roles were established at creation. Now, Adam carried the authority and ultimate responsibility, right? So we see the weight of responsibility is on Adam. So where do we see that? So what I want to do, let's go to the next verse, verse 14. It says, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. So we see there, and. 
So this is now the second argument that Paul is saying about what he is trying to prove here. So when we look at the roles established at creation, these roles were what? They were messed up. They were messed up in the fall. So how do we see that roles are important or what can we learn here about roles? Roles are corrupted in the fall. Roles are corrupted in the fall. They were switched. Adam was to lead and failed. Eve was to follow. We talk about submission and failed. We see this is the failure that happened. Genesis 3, 4, and 6. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the women saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was able to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Now we look at that and what do we see? Adam failed in his leadership. He followed. It says he was not deceived. Eve was deceived. Right? He followed. Ultimately, it was what? If Adam was given the full responsibility of creation, it was his responsibility and he failed. And a lot of times, you know what we do? I would look back and be like, oh, Adam, why? You know, you look back and you're like, why would he do that? I know if I was there, I would have been strong and say, no, 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 you can't do this. But I know for a fact if I was there and if I was in his shoes, I would do the same thing. If my wife was like, look, this is good, you want to eat it? I'd be like, Okay, you know, and like take it and follow along because what? Because that is in my, like, like that's where I am pulled to go. I want to be passive. I want to follow. I don't want to lead. And we see this is the, what happened with the curse and this is the, the switch that happened. Romans 5.12 says this. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. What is, what is Paul saying there in Romans? He didn't say, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one woman, right? He's not saying that. He's saying through one man. So what does that mean? It was Adam's responsibility, and he failed. And death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. So what was God's order here? And this is interesting when you start to break this up and you start to look at it. And we studied through this. Satan went to who? Went to the woman, not the man. He didn't go to the man. So why would he do that? He disrupted God's order. He created chaos in what he was doing. As an animal, he went to the woman, and then the woman went to the man. Do you see how that is inversed in the way that it should be? Adam should have protected the garden and should have protected Eve. He should have been the one to stop it, and he failed. The disorder we have today is a result from the violation of God's given order. If we look at Colossians, Colossians three eighteen through 20, it says this. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord, in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. You look at here, and this is talked about throughout the Bible, that this is the command. Why? This is, will be our struggle in what we do. After the fall, there was, uh, we were cursed, and now we are in sin. 
right? So what is our struggle here? Wives, submit to your husbands. Why does he have to tell them that? Because wives don't want to submit to their husbands. That is the struggle. What does he say? Husbands, love your wives. Do not be harsh with them. So what, what do we want to do? We're not good at loving our wives, and we can be harsh with them. These are our struggles, and this is what it comes back to over and over again that we struggle with because of what happened at the fall. Wives will want to have authority over their husband. Men will either be harsh or they will be passive, and we see that is what Adam was. He was passive, and this was the problem that threatened the church. The women wanted authority over the men, and the men weren't leading. Why? Because our roles have been corrupted by the fall and because of Adam and Eve's disobedience. Ultimately, Adam's responsibility. And these were the consequences. All right, let's look at the final verse. Verse 15. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. So yet... It indicates that in spite of Eve's transgressions, right, he's just talking about what she did, she will be saved through childbearing. Now, what does that mean when we look at that? Now, if you look at this text, there is a lot of study on this text. This is one of the texts in the Bible as you're going through, you're like, well, what does that mean? A lot of people have different opinions on what this verse means. Does it mean that each woman who gives birth to a child will receive salvation? I'll just get that one out there first. No, that is not what it means. Why is that? Why would we know that? Because not every woman has a child. That would be ridiculous if only the women who had children were the ones that got to go to heaven and receive salvation. Not all women have children. Now, there's three different ways of looking at this passage that makes sense. So I want to break this down and kind of go through it. So first, as we look at this verse, it could be referring to a specific birth talking about what? Jesus will come as, a, as the Savior, like talking about childbearing. Could be, in fact, that maybe he's saying, well, women will be saved. Why? Because the, the Jesus is coming, or Jesus came in, as God in the flesh, and he was born. Now, if you look at Galatians 4, 4 through 5, it says this, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Now, if we look at this verse, it could possibly be talking about that. I believe that it's a little vague. It's a little more general. And if you look at the words in childbearing, it's more of a general childbearing. And I believe Paul would be specific about the birth of the Savior in this. But I believe that the sentiment, what the thought there is true, absolutely. Because Jesus did come born of a woman. And did come and was able to give salvation. Second thought is, is you look at this and it could that be that because of the curse of the woman will have pain in childbearing. Um, but God will save them through childbearing. Now when we look at the word through, um, we think about it as like save through or save by childbearing. Like because of childbearing, she will be saved. Now, this thought is like, it's not that. It's not by means of, the through is not by means of childbearing. It's more if in spite of, like through it. Like he, God will see you through that childbearing 
And then what? You have the promise of faith because Jesus came and then you, then you by faith, can be saved. I think that is a good interpretation. I think that that, I see uh, that that definitely could be. If we look at Genesis 3.16, it says, To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Now, there is the, the curse and what God has put forth. I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. And what this verse is saying and what this interpretation means is even through that curse, that God will see the women through that. And they, they can be saved by faith. The reason that this could be uh, the translation is 1 Corinthians 3.15. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. It's that same phrase as through fire. Like think of it as through the childbirth, through the pain of childbirth. God will be there, and then by faith you can be saved. The third thought is that... um, is the thought that because Paul has just talked about Eve being the transgressor, right? He's just saying all this bad things about Eve, and this is the reason why. That God in his grace has given women the privilege and responsibility to give life. And I love this interpretation. 1 Timothy 5.14, later on in, in Timothy, it says, So I would have younger widows marry bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. This idea of uh, we forget that this beautiful thing, this amazing miracle that God has given to women to give birth, to give life. And I tell you what, men, we'll never know what that's like. We'll never know what that's like to carry a baby for nine months and to give birth with that baby. And to have that bond and that nurturing that mothers have. That is an amazing miracle. And that is a wonderful, wonderful thing. And then they are challenged to continue in faith, love, and holiness with what? Self-control. Self-control is what? That's the theme that he's coming back to. Even last week, we talked about the self-control. Now he's bringing the self-control theme back at the very end. And remember, this is how it has affected the corporate gathering. So however we look at this verse, we see that God has given a beautiful role to women in spite of the curse, in spite of the curse, a privilege to bring babies and nurture them. Now, God has given specific roles to men and women by what? His design. That wasn't an accident. You know, we are going through a study with the youth. It's called God's Good Design. And I love that title. Why? Because it reminds us that this is by design. God put this in motion. God gave these roles on purpose, and it's his good design. So what do we see here that roles are important? Roles are by God's design. Roles are by God's design. He designed us this way. And guess what? There's no mistakes. He didn't make mistakes here. His design and plan are perfect. Even though Adam and Eve were disobedient, Sin entered the world. Remember, Romans 5.12. I'll read it again. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, he sent his son born of a woman. 
Jesus lived a perfect and sinless life. And what happened? He went to the cross. He took the punishment that we deserve and defeated death and rose again. That is what we're getting ready to celebrate this coming week. Jesus is the only way for us to be restored to God, for us to be born again. This is the beautiful gospel. But we must surrender to him as Lord and Savior. But remember, it's all by God's design and plan. It's a perfect plan. The roles are perfect that he has put in motion. So in that plan, God has given us a structure of authority. He created it. We should trust it. We should trust it. So as we have looked at the meaning and context of these four verses today, as we've gone through this, and I hope that I have done it justice, we see that Paul is giving instruction on the roles in the house of God. Based on the structure, he has designed what? From creation. So we see that is his reasoning. We have seen roles are important for learning and teaching. He has set that up in the structure. Gender roles were established, what? At creation. We see that clearly. These roles were reversed, or they were corrupted in the fall. And our roles were designed by God for a purpose, for a purpose. So what is our next step today that I want you guys to take away? Our next step is this, be faithful in our roles. Be faithful in our roles. We can never underestimate the value and importance. When you think about the roles, the value and importance of what? Godly men to lead. So important. And we can never underestimate the value and importance of godly women in the church and the family. These roles are so critical. Both of us have these roles and they have equal value. My wife, I told my wife, I said, I'm probably gonna talk about you. Just, I'm kind of warning you, I may talk about you a little bit. Um, my wife, I've always called her the heart of the family, and she does this so well. Why? Because it's, it's like this instinct that like, she is just the heart of the family, and she's very nurturing. She's very caring with the kids. Sometimes and I'm like, wow, that is really good. Like, like if they are sick or if they're in their certain situation, like I always come back to that. I'm like, man, you're the heart of the family, and I've said that for years. She's not only that in our family, but she's also that in her ministries and how she, and how she does ministry. Like in student ministry, she helps. And she, I always call her, you're the heart of student ministry. Why? They call her Mama Des. And, you know, the, the students love her. Why? Because that's who she is. In my marriage, and in my marriage and teaching, she willfully submits to my leadership. I value and I love her with all my heart. And I always want to know her counsel, her advice, everything that we do, I talk it out. I'm like, man, talk to me. Des, we need to talk this out. Come on, what are we gonna do here? Any decision, like I, I realize that I want, I value and love her with all my heart and I want to know her advice and counsel. But guess what? And I don't say this in a good way, the buck stops with me. Like I have to make those decisions. Why? Because I'm leading our family in what we do. And she would say she doesn't want that. A lot of times she's like, good, I'm glad that's not my decision. You get to decide that. And then I'm like, yes, you're right. I do have to decide that. And even in staff meetings that we have, when we're making decisions and we're sitting around, my wife will be like, well, I'm glad I'm, glad I'm not one of the men here because that's a decision you guys have to make. 
And like, there is a weight and a responsibility that we, that we take on when we're leading, and, but we have to take this. I have to take it on. I have to take that responsibility and love and lead well. And I am not perfect, but that's my role that, I, that God has given me. And we complement each other. We talk about our roles and how we work together. We complement each other in what we do. And I cannot do it without her. I cannot. I wouldn't be here where I am today in what I'm doing without her. Just like this church cannot function without men and women. We need men and women to function in this church in a way for a healthy church. Always remember God's purposes and roles, equally valued, created in God's image. Different roles for structure in the corporate gathering and what that looks like. You know, we talk about, you know, from the pulpit, we talk about this is in our circle and what we do and when we preach and teach. Men will always be the ones preaching and teaching. That is what we believe and that's what we do. We have structured it in a way that we want men to read the scripture before, before the message and then also to pray. We want that to do that because the men, we want them to lead in what they do. But there is many opportunities for women to lead throughout this church and in different ministries. So men and women should both be leading. All right, I want to finish with this. 1 Corinthians 11, 2 through 3. Now I commend you because you remember me and everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. God has a structure and it is perfect, though we are not. We are not. We will fail, but this is us to be obedient in what we do. We need to follow God's structure. So let's be faithful in our roles God has given us. Be obedient to him and all that we do. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today humbly, with humility, because, Father, we know that we are imperfect, and we know that you are perfect. So, Father, as we look at your word, we want to follow the example that you give. We want to live a life that glorifies you. And, Father, even in our corporate gathering, we want to rightly divide what you, what you tell us in your word, and we want to lead well. So, Father, I pray for uh, men and women in this church that in their roles, that they will be faithful in those roles. And that, Father, as we, as we continue to grow as a church body and as a family, just pray that we will be healthy in that and that we will love each other well. Father, we're so thankful for the time that we've had together today, and we want to give you all the praise for it. So we love you, we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks again for joining us today. If you have questions about this message or about the Ridge Church, you can contact us at info at theridgechurch.net. Have a blessed day.